Sadashiva Samarama Shankara Charya Mahajama Asmara Charya Payantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishvaro Guranmeti Murti Deva Vivadine Vyomavadya Tadehaya talking about the values that are uh, need to be investigated if you want to grow spiritually and to make an inventory of your values and the, and to cultivate those values that are conducive to a pure uh, introverted uh, spiritual sophic mind and to purify or remove those values that disturb and agitate your mind. That's the idea. And that's up to you. If, if these are qualifications for life, for freedom. Just like bhakti, as we said, is a qualification for moksha. Devotion to God is a qualification for moksha but these values are also qualifications for moksha if, if you have a hard time if you're not growing properly spiritually if you're stuck spiritually it's probably because you want some value uh, some spiritual value is only partially assimilated it's only when you fully assimilate the all the spiritual values that what that you move forward on your spiritual path so this uh this uh, list of these 20 values uh is is a checklist and you need to like read it carefully think about it and see if you're up to the up to up to the mark on that value and if you're not then you should pick a value and work on it for one month, two months, whatever it is, until you've mastered that value. And then, then when you when you feel confident that you, that that value is is a solid value, a good value, and you're 100% convinced <laughs> that it's working for you, then you should take the next value that's giving you a problem, and you should uh, every day keep it in mind. And, and work on it. Monitor your mind for that until you what? You cultivated the right value. Once that's cultivated, move on like that. So it's it's a constant or steady practice. Always looking at your values. Not taking anything for granted. Because as soon as you start getting emotional or angry or whatever, and you find a consistent pattern of frustration or anger or depression, there's some value that needs work. 
And you're going to have to figure out what 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 value it is is producing that anger or that depression. Karma yoga is is is, is uh, and yana yoga is what value or or mind management, and your mind is controlled by your values. So with the right values, you'll have a happy mind, and with the wrong values, you have an unhappy mind. It's very simple, really. Usually the solution is to apply the opposite value. If you're, if you're a selfish person, then learn how to let go, to be generous. But just the opposite. So that's why, we, that's why we look into these values and discuss them. And you need to be very honest with yourself because, of course, you want to believe that you have all the good values and, you, and so you say, oh, yeah, I have that. And you want to believe that you don't have the bad values. So you'll minimize those bad values. But you have to be ruthlessly honest with yourself. You know? And, a, and, a, and, a, and an honest person will admit their weaknesses to themselves. Understand? Even sometimes it's good to admit it to somebody else. Sometimes people feel because they trust me and they know I'm non-judgmental, they they tell me all the bad stuff, and, uh, and that's good. Not that I care, because I love them anyway with the good stuff or the bad stuff. But it gets them off their chest. They feel comfortable uh, expressing their issues with with a non-judgmental person. That's all. You do, you got to be careful who you communicate with because you make sure that if you want to confess your sins, uh, that's why they have this Catholic Church. That's a good, it's a good institute, it's a good idea, confessing your sins. That, the priest is impartial and just listens to it. He's a stand in for God. And, uh, and it gets it off your chest to say it and to share it like that in that kind of situation. So, so value management is, is uh, an extremely important part of your spiritual uh, path, your spiritual growth. Uh, jealousy and envy. Again, these values are based, these two values are based upon jealousy is an emotional value and envy is an intellectual value. Jealousy is more honest than envy. Jealousy is more simple and straightforward and honest, but it's just as damaging to your psyche as envy. Envy is a more hidden and secret, concealed energy. And and we'll we'll read this these few paragraphs on jealousy and envy and see what the Swami has to say about them. Remember, we said if you're rajasic in temperament, one of your major problems, one of the biggest problems you have is when you have rajaguna is, your, is constantly comparing yourself to others or to what you want to be, or to what you were. 
And uh, and that comparison, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Understand? You should know what you know what you where you're going and know what you do, and not spend a lot of time, particularly relating yourself to other people. Understand? You should relate it to your own growth. You should look at where you're going, where you've come from, where you're going, and where you are now, and try to improve your uh, yourself as you go here. Understand? And not compare it to other people. Right. <coughs> you know, if, if you, you you wouldn't compare your Vedanta knowledge to mine because you just not you'll just feel in in you know you just feel inadequate. That's all. It's stupid, but huh? To say well I I can't share what I know because I I don't know what Ram knows. That's stupid. If you if you know something more than what you know and it's a helpful thing then share it with somebody else. It may not be the ultimate truth, but it's helpful, huh? and it's good to share it. <coughs> so don't compare yourself to other people. What? Aren't all the, all the failures, the old age, the result of the, of the knowledge? So the knowledge needs to work, and the, and the, the values are a result of the knowledge. Oh, oh, Audrey says, aren't these a result of the knowledge? So the knowledge does the work. Well, it, it doesn't do the work. I mean, if the knowledge is firm, you don't have to worry about your values. That's right. If you're clear about who you are, you will automatically have that. The good values will actually be present in your personality. But but what if, what if you what if you don't know who you are? What if you're still trying to understand and assimilate the knowledge of who you are? <coughs> then what? Then these values can be obstacles. They're obstacles. The bad values are obstacles, and the good values are what? Are helpful. You understand? So you don't you don't want to get you don't want to say well I know who I am and therefore I have all good values. Huh? You have you have to look at yourself in a practical way every day and see how you you match up. So this is jealousy and envy and it's based at the rajasic values and it's based upon comparison. Says. <clears throat> One of the most common and unreasonable impurities is jealousy, a pernicious form of duality. It exists. Why do? Why are people jealous? It exists because the world is the world is filled with millions of entities that provide million provide many opportunities, real or imagined, for self-demeaning. Comparative judgments. You can, you see some, huh? you see somebody who's very accomplished and very beautiful, and you look at yourself and you say, I, "I'm a loser. I'm not accomplished and beautiful." And then you feel bad about yourself. Why? Because you're comparing yourself to what they are, but you don't. You have no idea why they are as they are, and what they did to get to get those accomplishments and whether those accomplishments were their accomplishments or were by the grace of Ishwar, you don't know. So you need to be very careful comparing yourself to people 
that make you feel inferior. Because huh? no, nobody's actually trying to make you feel inferior. You have to make yourself feel inferior or superior. Now, if you have low self-esteem, you will try to make yourself, you will always come out on the, on the losing side. Or, if not, not always, you will what? You'll overcompensate and develop bad values to make you feel better. Or you'll either make you feel worse or better. There are two possibilities. One is you want to inflate yourself because you feel small. And the other is you want to diminish yourself huh? <laughs> because you feel small. Some people think they're a lot worse than they are. Isn't that funny? They're not honest about themselves at all. They don't take their good qualities into account. They only take their bad qualities into account. And so they think there's something wrong with them. And when I point out what their good qualities are, they, they look at me like I'm crazy. I say, well, what about these? I see all these good qualities in you. Why don't you judge yourself with reference to those and have a more positive self-image? Huh? And they can't do it. <laughs> Understand? Because they need to feel bad to feel good. That's uh, that's not a healthy situation. Understand? So, so it says jealousy and envy are what are they? They're transformed anger, and they usually lead to depression. <coughs> You're angry because you don't have what somebody else has. You don't have the character or the qualities, the possessions or something that they don't have. And it makes you angry. Huh? So you compare yourself unfavorably to them. You're actually angry at yourself. You're not angry, angry at the other person. You're angry at yourself because you're not as good as you think they are. But you don't know if they're good or not. Or you don't know what their bad downside is at all. Or why they are as they are. Huh? It's just all your own self-esteem that's causing you to compare yourself unfavorably to other people. So he says, and wh what, what causes these? They're produced by a sense of lack brought on by comparison to someone I think is superior in some way to me. This comparison this, uh, with other people is unreal <coughs> for this reason. And then he gives the reason. I am... Huh, this is a this is a solution now. This is how you get out of it. Huh? If you this is how you get out of jealousy and envy. This is an inquiry you should do. He says, I am never jealous of a whole person, only some aspect of a person. Huh? He or she is more intelligent, beautiful, wealthy, or popular than I am. The fact that I would like to be like this person shows that there is some sympathy for that person. Doesn't it? The qualities that invoke jealousy cannot be separated from the complete person. Because the complete person who is actually the self can never be completely an object of envy, there is no real place for my bad feelings to attach themselves. Do you understand that? I'll repeat it. Okay, it's a subtle point. It's a beautiful analysis. Okay? He says, 
we'll, we'll go through it again. The fact that I would like to be like that person shows that there is some sympathy for the, him or her, whoever it is. Huh? You know, if somebody's beautiful, you'd like to be beautiful like them. So, right? so you sympathize with their quality, right? You sympathize with them, even though it makes you feel bad that they're more beautiful than you are, or more richer, more whatever it is than you are. He says. Now he says the qualities that invoke that cause you to feel jealous cannot be separated from the complete person, can they? Because there's more to that person than just those qualities that what? That make you feel small, isn't there? That's just one aspect of their personality. There's much more to them than just that one quality, right? Because, because the complete person who's actually the self, in other words, what you're actually seeing there is the self, he says, that because the complete person, the self, can never be separated from an object of envy, there's no real place for my bad feelings to go. In other words, that has nothing to do with them. <laughs> there's no place that your feelings would go. If you feel envious of somebody, it doesn't go to them. It's just a statement about your sense of lack, that's all. Basically, all projection work. It's, a, it's all projection work. That's mm -hmm. right. You're projecting your inadequacy on another person. You're saying they're adequate, but you don't know. Or they're bad because they've got something you don't have. You couldn't look at it that way. But that's, again, a projection because you don't know who they are. And they're actually the self. Well, if they're the self, there's no place for you to put that projection, is there? Understand? So he says, finally, it's also clear that there are certain feelings in that person that I don't want. Huh? Isn't that right? You envy certain part of the person, but other uh, parts of the person, huh? You definitely don't want. So why are you choosing, instead of looking at the whole person, why are you choosing this particular issue to make yourself feel bad? If there are parts of the person that you don't want or you don't like, huh, then what? That should make you feel good right? if you don't have them. Then you might not have those, so you should feel good because what? You don't have the bad qualities they have. Think about it. If if it's actually the other person that's making you feel good or bad, is it is it the other person that's making you feel good or bad? No, you're making yourself feel good or bad, Because huh? you're not seeing them as a self. So it's an expression of ignorance. It's, yeah, you're just ignorant. That's all. But you don't think you're ignorant because you have, you think the object is responsible for your feelings. You can't put anything, everything outside you is value neutral. <coughs> Remember? Every object, every person is value neutral. They're neither good nor bad. The, the values are added by me to them. 
by my ignorance or my knowledge, I add value to an object. Under the spell of Satanguna. Under the spell of the guna. In this Raja Guna, in this case, you're comparing, and you and you you for some reason want to make yourself feel bad by huh, looking at yourself as inferior to someone else. Huh? But but if you look at them as a self, nobody's inferior or superior, are they? So if you look at, and the self doesn't have any value, the self is just clear, it's just empty of value. Any, any qualities. Any qualities, it has no qualities. It's nirgunaha, we said the self is nirguna. It doesn't have positives and negatives, it's just awareness, it's just love uh, shining. It's shining radiant love. So, so you're, what are you, so, and you can't actually, but there's actually no value to the good or bad qualities either because when you analyze them, they all disappear. Your good qualities resolve into consciousness and your bad qualities resolve into consciousness. Huh? So what? So there's no place for a negative evaluation in their personality or a positive evaluation in their personality at all. It's all just your own feeling of inadequacy that's putting those feelings there. I don't want to accept that though. I want to think, you know, that the object is causing this thing. Why? Because I'm comparing myself to someone else. So the whole thing starts back with this rajas, rajasic problem, is comparison, because comparison leads to competition, and comp competition leads to violence, to anger, and what? And sometimes destruction. It's just a slippery slope down. And he says, additionally, that if I'm honest, I will find that, oh, what about this? I too am not perfect and am the possessor of certain in, in, in unenviable qualities. In other words, uh-huh, right? If you think somebody's a bad person, right? If you say they're a bad person and that makes you feel good, you have to look at yourself and, and discover your bad qualities. You can feel good if they're if it's their qualities that are bad, but what about if it's you you have bad qualities too, then huh, then you should feel bad about your qualities, not about theirs, because you don't have anything to do with theirs. You should analyze your bad qualities. Huh? Take responsible for ability for them and purify those qualities. It says here. And so he said, if you know that, it makes it difficult to judge others, doesn't it? <laughs> huh? It's huh? so much work. It's much easier just to drop the identification with the jiva, you know? Yeah. This work is impossible to be done in a yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Identify with the self and problem is solved, right? Yeah, identify with the self, see the self, see yourself as the self and problem solved. Huh? Look at how complicated this is. Terrible. Look I at how it. look at how twisted and complicated human psychology is. 
Mm. It's really twisted. <laughs> it's, it's perverted. It's easy if you understand that there are no other. Your own jealousy, like your own yeah. wonder writer, your own drum, your own drum key, your own so jealousy this is it. Jealousy is actually an unwarranted reaction to the apparent nature of reality. It's completely without merit. In other words, jealousy is a projection that masks an insufficient appreciation of my own nature and the abundance of good qualities that spring from my own nature. A self-realized person is never jealous because he or she is mindful of his or her fullness. Hmm. Although the Bible's statement that God is a jealous God, you know that statement in the Bible, that God is a jealous God, means that when you know God, you cannot love anything else, right? When you know God, you, you can't love anything else. There's no way you could be jealous of anybody else because God's a perfect lover. Hmm? that God is the most beautiful beloved. There's no beloved better than God. So it's impossible to be jealous of anybody else when you understand who God is. <coughs> and God is so beautiful that what what that what it means is that what that that he says when God says I am a jealous God means what? That you you're you you will not your attention cannot go to anybody else when you understand it. It's the same idea. So, so although the Bible statement, God is a jealous God, means that when you know God, you cannot love anything else, many people believe that God is a super being somewhere, sitting somewhere else, who is endowed with certain human qualities, one of which is jealousy. Huh? <laughs> In other words, a lot of people project this idea of jealousy onto God. Huh? It's called personification, but I, but you, God's not a person, so any kind of human qualities that you ascribe to God don't apply. So jealousy, there's a metaphor, and it means that what? When you love God, you can't love anybody else. In other words, your jealousy goes away. Or you say, there's another statement, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know that one? Huh? In other words, what? Try, trying to gain revenge. You shouldn't try to gain revenge. Why not? You, you should leave it to the Lord. You should let Ishwara solve the problem. Understand? Okay. These, are, these are all beautiful psycho, huh? But it is also uh, the choice of the words are often not that fortunate when you look at it. Yeah. Psychological stuff. Yeah, well, that's right. And the older, I think those words may have actually been used in the Middle Age. You know, you don't yeah, we don't know. Yeah. But if you know Vedanta, you're able to interpret these things in a reasonable way. Understand? Yeah, Georg. I'm a little bit confused. Can you tell us again what the importance is of the values? If I understood it right, you just said 
it's enough to sustain on themselves or their trust others? Or is it important to actually study and assimilate those? Values? No, she's, it's not important. If, if you say you're the self, that's different from being the self. If you, if you know without a doubt that you're the self, then what? Then all the good qualities will be there built right into you. Huh? But just saying it doesn't mean that you are the self, unless you know what it means to say I'm the self. Huh? So, huh? So this is a very tricky thing, claiming that you're the self. Right? So if you are the self, you don't have to worry about values because you are Dharma. Dharma with a big D. Huh? You are the Dharma. You are the, that's another meaning for the self, is Dharma. Huh? You are good, right? Dharma means what's always good in every place and every time, place and circumstance. Now, if you know you are always good, can any bad actions come out of you? Even the bad actions will have good consequences. It says it's going to say in here. <clears throat> Why? Because you're good. Even though the action looks like it's a bad action, it will ultimately have a good result because it's coming from goodness itself. So if I'm good, if I know who I am, I am good. Good means God. I am God. <laughs> God is just a word for good. Huh? Is a shortened form of good. The word Shiva in the Sanskrit means what's always good at every place time and every time. What's always good. Now, what would that be? That would be me. That would be pure love, wouldn't it? So if you have pure love, can you injure anybody? And all these bad values are, are, are spring from what? Duality, not from non-duality. They spring from duality and fear. Yeah? Summarize, does the scripture encourage us to assimilate these values? Yes. That's the purpose of the values. And if they're partially assimilated, huh, you need to fully assimilate them. That's why we're now now maybe, you know, maybe you 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 know you, you partial you partially have some good good values there. But but the, the, you need to get that value completely assimilated so it doesn't disturb you anymore. Because a partially assimilated value, or partially assimilated means a value that's not completely understood. In other words, the value of the value is not completely understood. See now, now if, if you want to come, you want to be a criminal, huh? Then you want you don't necessarily want to develop these particular values that we're talking about. We don't want to be criminals, so huh? We want to be saints, <laughs> so we want to assimilate the saintly values. But a, a criminal would assimilate the bad values, wouldn't he? Huh? Because those values were what are useful for criminals, for people, for adharmis, people who are going against the dharma. Those values are are good for them because they get their pleasure out of what breaking dharma you said it yourself values trump enlightenment many times yeah because without without she is values are more important than enlightenment why because without values you're not going to get enlightened and you're already enlightened anyway and you're already enlightened anyway <laughs> that's right
and, and one of my criticisms of modern spiritual people, the modern spiritual teachers, is they don't talk about values. Just like in the educational system, they don't talk about values. So no wonder the values don't get proper attention. You understand? So, so he says here, so he says here, uh, it says, uh, but God is not a person. In other words, the self is not a person subject to any limitation. It's a creator and possessor of everything. And like an enlightened person, it knows it's, it knows it is fullness itself. God knows it's full. Huh? So jealousy and other emotions, positive and negative, don't apply to God, obviously. Those are projections by human beings. Because the self is already full. It doesn't have low self-esteem. Understand? Only we have low self-esteem, and therefore we project our inadequacies and insufficiencies and our desires onto other people. Oh, he says, when I feel jealousy, what's what you do? I should apply the opposite thought, lest it devolve into schadenfreude, delight in the misery of others. I should think, I am happy for the good fortune of that person. I admire his or her good qualities. I'm happy that he or she is happy. Any negative feeling that is opposed to peace, because peace, we're going for peace of mind. That's what we want. We want a peaceful, clear, soptic mind. Any negative feeling that's opposed to peace can be neutralized by applying the opposite thought. So if you're greedy, huh, what would you do to, to get rid of that value, that greedy value? Be generous. Train yourself to be generous. Hmm? When the beggar comes up, you don't, you know, you got one, one penny in your pocket and you give him a penny. That doesn't hurt. You should give till it hurts. Give him five five euros. Then you then you'll see what your value is. Then you'll see how cheap and miserly and self-centered, huh? And and small you are. Give him ten euros. Then watch your friends tell you you gave him too much, huh? You'll see how how cheap their values are. Here's a poor man, he doesn't have a pot to piss in, and you give him 10 euros, and you get a lecture from your friend about giving to beggars and drunks because, it, you know, it's not good for them. <laughs> and you have all these, it is the same thing, the government tells you not to give to beggars, but the government doesn't take care of beggars. Hmm? Understand, we have all these these really really chicken shit little uh, tendencies to minimize and to cover up our stinginess, our selfishness, our jealousy, and so forth and so on. We want to hide it because why? Because we're ashamed of it. it the Dharma's built into us, and we know that we're what that we're that we're that way, and we want to hide it. So we hide it behind all kinds of 
phony excuses, fake reasons. And that makes us feel temporarily good. But down deep under, under, underneath it all, we feel guilty. Because yeah. when you break when you break one of Ishwar's rules, you should feel guilty. If you're feeling guilty, you shouldn't try to get rid of your guilt. You should ask, "Why do I feel guilty?" The guilt is a, is a sign that you your one of your values is wrong, is bad, and you've broken the Dharma somehow. So you should look in to see what it is you did to produce the, this guilty feeling. <coughs> What for self-realization you should have a value for steady steadiness constancy and perseverance stick to itiveness he said it says here a consistent effort to achieve a goal is required for self-knowledge because self-knowledge is not partial knowledge like worldly discipline huh you don't you don't have to you know mostly worldly things you don't need uh you know you can they're just little bits of knowledge in certain fields but self-knowledge is knowledge of everything this is a this chart huh is a symbol of all the objects in creation that need to be understood <laughs> understand huh so to understand this, it's going to take what? You're going to have to be very steady in your, under, in your, in your pursuit of this knowledge. How about seven years? Ten years. Ten years. Oh, wow. <laughs> huh? Ten years? It's been, you came to Vedanta ten years ago. Yeah. Almost done. Huh? Almost done. Five more years. Well, that's, that's, that's consistent steady practice. We, we don't want to put that energy in. It's like all we want to do is show up, get our enlightenment, go back to enjoying our lives. Huh? So so you go to a satsang, you get a little high, and they're told you're the self, and, and you feel good for a while. Huh? And then you come crashing down, you feel bad, then you have to go to another satsang, another guru tells you the self, and you feel good for a while. Huh? Because you, you don't want to do the effort. You don't want to keep your mind focused on the on the task. It's called samadana, focus, discipline. I want to keep my mind. Look at me. I'm 50 years. I, I haven't gotten off the damn scripture yet. When, <laughs> I can't get off it. Why? Because it gives me so much pleasure. It gives me so much power. It gives me so much joy. Huh? But I just keep doing it. <laughs> so where do you get the stamina? Where do you get the radius? Look at you going. It's all from what? Doing the sadhana. And steady, steady, steady. The more you do it, the more you get out of this. It's a simple thing. Understand? I mean, you'll spend 10 years trying to qualify to be a lawyer, won't you? You want to be a lawyer? It takes you 10 years. A doctor, 10, 12 years. You'll, you'll work your ass off. You'll keep the doctor thought in your mind for 12 years. But you want to go and get enlightened, and you want it in like 30 days or 60 days. And this is way more difficult than becoming a doctor or a lawyer. It's not that hard to become a doctor or a lawyer. You just have to 
learn a lot of silly little facts. <laughs> Basically, they want to make sure you, you, you show up for work every day, that's all. Because the knowledge that you pick up there is constantly changing. Huh? What you learn in medical school is already doesn't work by the, after, after you get, get through the medical school. They already got new procedures and new knowledge and so forth and so on. The field of knowledge is changing so fast. Uh, doctors are always falling behind, you know. Uh, what they want to see is that you, that you consistently will be there, come there every day and work like a dog for the rest of your life. Cause, uh, <laughs> Because they've got a lot of business there going on, a lot of sick people, and they want to make a lot of money, and so, huh? So, understand? So, and perseverance means to stick to it. He says, self-knowledge is absolute knowledge. It's the essence of all the knowledges. Huh? Certain actions flow from my con commitment to my goal, and I should step. In other words, you get benefits. From as you go, and you should consistently huh, perform those actions, those thoughts and feelings, and those devotions over and over and over again, because it builds up a great storehouse of shakti, of energy, of power. It's called tapas. T a p a s. Tapas means heat producing. Your actions produce energy or heat, and that energy appears as vitality on a physical level and appears as charisma or radiance on the subtle level. And that radiance or that charisma on the subtle level makes your intellect sharp and so you can understand more clearly. And on the physical level, it gives you the strength and the stamina to like do your karma yoga every day and the enthusiasm to do it. You know, if, you're, if you're depressed and low energy, it means you don't have any shakti. Huh? And you have to build your shakti up. That's, that's what this tapas is about. That's what this sadhana is about. You restrain the organs that are going, the uh, energy that's going into the senses, that's being pissed away in sense pursuits. You restrain it and keep it here, and you apply it to a higher idea to a higher goal and then that basic energy pulls you what toward the goal yeah. it's called tapas tapas means spiritual practice it's conversion of what of extroverted energy into what subtle energy into tejas tejas means light radiant energy so these people who are yogis they have auras they have charisma they have power they have enthusiasm Understand? They're cheerful, enthusiastic because of this practice. And, and you can't just do it little by little if you want to get it. You have to do it consistently over a long period of time. So that's the idea. Because most of us are totally resolved at the beginning, you know. You say, okay, I'm going to do this. Huh? You get all, you're all... Uh, full of energy right at the beginning and you go like crazy huh you're just oh you're so inspired and so forth and so on said at the beginning but we quickly lose interest when we're confronted with what, what a big job we put for for ourselves right and 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 we seize we seize on some excuse or pretext to what 
to opt out of the required act, the actions that are required to do. You say, oh, well, I, no, that's all right. I, I don't really need to do that. You see, I, I got a this or I got a that, and that's why I can't continue here, and so on and so forth and so on. And we lose our enthusiasm, and we let it drain. Understand? So he says, steadiness, sometimes called devotion, implies an acute appreciation of the power of Rogers and Thomas to what? To distract us and cause laziness. Because huh? Rogers is going to distract you. And Thomas is going to huh, prevent you from seeing what needs to be done because you're too dull. It'll hide from you what you need to do. So when you, when you commit yourself to this, you become hypervigilant for Rogers and Thomas. You need Rogers, mind you. And you need Thomas. We're not saying there's a bad energy. There's an upside to Rogers and an upside to Thomas and a downside to Rogers and a downside to Thomas. Because the gunas are in duality. Remember, life's a zero-sum game here. Life's zero-sum. So for every upside, there's a downside. And everything here is what? That's an upside and a downside. We just need to know how to utilize the upside huh, and minimize the downside of each one of these energies. And there, there are, since they're always changing, it won't always be the same practice that you have to do or the same situation will require the development of a different aspect of a particular guna. So it says here, um, to give, uh, to give, if you give in to this Rogers and Thomas, it generates a sense of guilt that will eventually paralyze the mind and lead to failure. You feel guilty because you, you, you know, you go, you jumped off the spiritual path because it was too tough. You weren't getting results fast enough. So, so you decide, oh, I'll, I'll forget it. That was really too much for me. But you have a real fancy. Always you have a fancy reason why you 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 quit practicing. This happens quite often in Vedanta. Somebody will come and they'll be real enthusiastic, and then I won't see them for two or three years. And and then they'll show up, and usually they'll come and tell me, I, I, I actually, I fell off, I got involved in this or that and the other thing, and he said, but that was so much suffering and now I've come back. So, But if you had been steady and stuck with it, he wouldn't have lost that three years. Fortunately, that convinced him that he should stick with it. Because <laughs> he was, he's forego, he forego all those good benefits he was getting because uh, it was, they were hard to achieve. But and he thought it was going to be easier to get the benefits from some other path. But the other path didn't give him the benefits at all. It was just the wrong, it was just the wrong path altogether for him. It wasn't in harmony with his swadharma, and it wasn't definitely in harmony with the teaching. So. Uh, because to understand the zero sum. What? Because to understand more of the zero sum. Yeah, yeah, you have to understand the zero sum nature of this reality. Ten, mastery of mind. Huh? Now there's four, and, and here we talk about the four kinds of thinking. Hmm? Did you know you, there's four types of thinking? Oh, yeah. Huh? The first one's impulsive thinking, the second's mechanical thinking. The third is deliberate thinking, and the fourth type of thinking is what? Spontaneous okay. thinking. 
Now, I, you need to understand what, what huh? if you're an impulsive thinker, and this is a big problem, it's been particularly been a big problem since the last, it was a problem in those days, obviously, but it's a particularly big problem now. When, since, since the, after the World War II, when, when the cultures got rich and, and, and successful and there was material, uh, uh, materialism started to really grow, people got, got this idea of instant gratification. That's when fast food started. Did you mm -hmm. know that? Yeah, there wasn't always fast food. Fast food came in in the 50s. They were called TV dinners and stuff. We, and, that, and we had drive-ins and that sort of thing. Huh? And now it's like a huge, huge industry. Now, what is the fast food about? I, I can't take time to go and shop for my vegetables, take them home, cook it, huh? Huh? wash the dishes, have a nice dinner, and, and go to bed. I, can't, I don't have time for that. I need to get my, my satisfaction immediately. So now I was reading about Chipotle. It's a, it's a chain. Now you, 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 can't, you can't get anything from the fast food uh, from the Chipotle. They're, they sell uh, burritos, Mexican food, unless you do, do it using their app. And you can't do it in the store. You have to do the app, and then you have to go to the store and pick it up. So you don't even stand in line to order it at the at the at the store, huh? You 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 uh, you order it before online, and then you just walk in and pick it up. And there's your number. And you take it out, and you've already paid for it online, and you eat it right away. Now the problem with that is that that started to apply to everything. People stopped dating. They wanted instant sex. I mean, they started getting married and courting. They stopped courting each other and dating. They just wanted instant sex. They want instant everything. They want everything right now when I want it, so forth and so on. And so, it be, and, and the mantra when I grew up, when I was in the six during the 60s was, if it feels good, do it. Mm -hmm. Did you ever hear that? Mm -hmm. Did you ever hear that? That's the mantra of impulsive people. Huh? Now, <clears throat> what's, the, what's, the, what's a much better mantra? If it feels good, think about it before you do it. Huh? But, but people don't want to think about it. Their impulses tell them what to do without any thought involved because they're so empty spiritually. The very idea that I might not get what I want when I want it the way I want it is so terrifying, they won't even think about it. They just immediately go for it, just like that. So that's impulsive thinking. Then there's what? Mechanical thinking. What's that? Thinking the same thoughts over and over and over and over again. Boredom. You have no imagination, huh? you have no courage, you have no goal. You just do what you've always done, and you just do the same thing over and over and over again, and your mind just keeps going around and around and around in the same circle. Tomasic. Tomasic. 
totally tabasic, totally dull, and you're bored to death. Hmm? Okay. If if you if you look at the the films, you see this all the time. These uh, these these robots, you know, all these robots and bots. <coughs> Those are all mechanical entities. Actually, they're personifications of a human psychological condition, which is what they just—they're just like mechanical instruments that just do the same thing over and over and over again. Whenever they see something, they kill it. <laughs> right? They're all armored. They're full of armor. That means we're all afraid. Huh? It's full. The fear is behind it. Thomas is fear. They're all afraid. They're all armored, and they're aggressive. Why? Because they're afraid. So as soon as they're in danger, what do they do? They just kill it. They have big, powerful muscles and mechanical. They walk like giants, and they just smash everything or destroy everything or blow up everything. Why? Because they're bored shitless. How many times do you say, I'm bored? Always wanting a novelty and excitement, all the time. Variety, can't, huh? Just craving variety. Can't you can't eat the same food two times in a row? In America, you wouldn't order Mexican food on Tuesday, Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, even though Mexican food is very nice food. No. I ate Mexican Monday, so I eat what? Italian Tuesday, so I eat Greek on Thursday, so I eat, huh? Whatever it is on Friday. <coughs> you're getting the same nutrition and so forth, but your palate, huh? It's so uninteresting that it needs to be needs to be stimulated all the time. So you can't eat the same food two days in a row. Go to India. Like a yoga vidya. Huh? Like, like a yoga, yoga vidya. vidya. <laughs> go, go to India. What, what do they eat in India in the north? Brody doll. Brody's and doll. That's it. Or, or, or doll roti. And, and what about the south India? It, Italy's and what is? Or what is an Italy? And they eat it every day for every day of the year for 365 days a year, and nobody's bored. Because they don't eat to live. They live, I mean, they don't live to eat. They eat to live. We don't eat to live. We eat because we're bored. We eat for entertainment. Understand? We're not, well. So mechanical thinking, huge enemy. <coughs> and as long as your mind is either impulsive or mechanical, <coughs> it's not under your control. You want to have control of your mind, so how would you get control of your mind? By deliberately thinking. Now, deliberate thinking is Vedanta. This is why Vedanta is hard. And people have a heart that takes years sometimes to assimilate it. Why? Because converting mechanical and impulsive thinking to deliberate thinking is difficult. Because those mechanical and impulsive thinkings are just really habitual. But when you start thinking deliberately, 
you have to build a vasana for deliberation. In other words, huh? you have to keep doing it until it becomes natural, until it eats up your impulsive and your what? Mechanical thinking. So what is deliberate thinking? Deliberate thinking, in our case, is one, applying the opposite thought, i.e., uh, always thinking that I'm thinking from non-dual perspective. Hmm? Now, it's hard to think from a non-dual perspective because I've been thinking from a dualistic perspective all my life, isn't it? I was born in duality. I was conditioned in duality. Everything for me is a dualistic idea. And as long as you keep thinking like that, then you stay in duality. So, huh? So how am I going to get out of duality? I'm going to have to introduce a new way of thinking into my intellect and train my mind to think from a non-dual point of view. And then what? I'll suddenly notice my life start to uh, evolve in a different direction. In other words, back home, back toward the self. And finally, spontaneous thinking. Spontaneous thinking is not something you can do. <laughs> Obviously, it's spontaneous. What does spontaneous thinking mean? It means that you have deliberately thought for so long that what? You don't have to deliberately think anymore. That deliberate thinking becomes natural and it just comes out automatically. So the mind is clear the mind, and, then, and then respond to the field appropriately. Appropriately. Yeah, yeah that's appropriate. According to the circumstances. According, it, like, and and, and it, 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 it's, it's natural <laughs> and spontaneous in every circumstance. Why? Because Ishwar is doing the thinking. Yeah, well, but then... What, what would you say to somebody who... Um, um, if you say, oh, you're thinking impulsively now, and they say, no, it's spontaneous. That was an impulsive response right there, wasn't it? He didn't think about what the answer was. He says, no, it's not. Contrary thinking is impulsive thinking, isn't it? Okay. Huh? No? Did, did yeah. you understand that? Yeah. Huh? Impulsive thinking is the same as emotional thinking? Yeah, emotional thinking is impulsive thinking. Okay. Impulsive thinking can very easily look like it's spontaneous. Yeah, it, look, yeah, it, can it can look like it's spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. It looks like it, well, because it just erupts. But with spontaneous thinking, there's it's a steady, consistent flow, and it all makes sense. And it's always consistent from one situation to the next. Mm -hmm. huh? Because it's based upon what? On the complete knowledge of reality. And neutral, probably. Huh? Yeah. It's neutral, it's not positive or negative. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, yeah. It, your thinking is in harmony with the way Ishwara thinks. Huh? This, this, huh? this scripture is how Ishwara, this is Ishwara's words. Now, wh why, how can I teach it so easily? <laughs> because it, huh? I've just done it for so long, it's natural. Yeah. I've memorized every one of these teachings, and now it's not even a memory. I don't have to think, oh, what should I say now? 
I, I say, uh, make a statement, and then Ishwar gives me the next statement inside, and it comes out, and then Ishwar gives the next statement, and it comes out, and I don't even have to do it. I just start talking, and boom, 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 out it comes. The whole teaching. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And when I'm done, we go out and have a break, and then I pick up right where I left it, Ishwar just cranks it out again. So, intuitive thinking, is it somewhere also intuitive intuition thinking, is it somewhere also? Yeah, that's that's impulsive. It's unreliable. Intuition is totally unreliable. I have to give you a big But but people think that intuition is really 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 spiritual. They they think it's really deep and really spiritual, and they've got the edge because they can feel something. No. Uh, it's purely what impulsive thinking it's just a subtle thought and and about the same topic you can have two different opinions at two different times based upon your intuitions intuitions are unreliable you could isn't, isn't it right you, you can meet somebody and fall in love and you can say that's a beautiful person Huh? You can say that, right? And you say, well, how do you know? He's a junkie and he's, he's holding up liquor stores to get his money. Oh, no, he's a beautiful person. Why is he so beautiful? He's like a criminal. I can feel it. I can see his real self. He's so beautiful inside. Look at his eyes. He's re- Oh, he's so, huh? It's a problem. It's a problem for the for the yogis because because there are mantras, there are meditations, there are things to develop the intuition. You know, it's something you can work on. So from the at least from the tradition where I come from, from the Kundalini Yoga tradition, you can really train that. So it's it's something you want you you want to get to. You know, yeah. And this Vedanta view is just the opposite. Is something totally unreliable. So it's a little bit confusing. Yeah. If you come from the yoga world. You know? Yeah, if you come from the yoga because world. Because it's a dualistic view, right? Yeah, it's a dualistic world. view. And, and you, you've got this vanity that you're really sensitive. Yeah. Huh? That's the point. Highly sensitive. Huh? Highly sensitive. Highly sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you could actually charge people, psych- the psychics. Yeah. You can actually make a lot of money with that. True. Yeah? You can predict things. You can tell them things about stuff they don't know about. Oh, my God. Yeah. So what, but why, why is intuitive thinking impulsive thinking? I'm not quite getting that. Because no, because, because, because it's, it's subject to change. On the th- huh? You can, you can intuit that a person's a good person at one time, and then you can meet them later, the same person you say they're a bad person. So spontaneous thinking is actually correct thinking. Spontaneous thinking is thinking in harmony with the nature of reality. It's correct. Yeah. Your, your thoughts are what? In harmony with Ishwara's thoughts. Yeah. You, if you want to be successful here, you want your life and Ishwara's life to be one. You want to have a God life. You don't want to have your life and God's life different. You want God's life and your life to be this one. 
And so how do you get how do you get your life one with God's life? You think like God. This is how God thinks. God's not a dualist with fears and desires and a big ego sitting in the sky with lots of likes and dislikes and insecurities and all that shit. Jiva's got all that stuff. God is supremely confident and thinks logically and rationally and beautifully and thinks from a point of view of love. <clears throat> huh? So, so if, if you harmonize your mind with this teaching, but you're thinking like God's thinking. You're God-like. You're not God, but you're God-like, and that's good enough, and you won't have any problems in life. Your, your life will just go like as if it's on a magic carpet. It will just be free and easy and natural and spontaneous and, and friendly and loving and exciting and interesting and beautiful and paradoxical and humorous. It will just be a really cool life. Huh? Understand? But if you want to just keep thinking like you're thinking and, uh, and you don't want to take God's thinking into account, you're going to have all kinds of problems. You're going to have obstacles and suffering and pain and, and frustration and, you know, samsara. It's called samsara. Right, the buddhi is under, the, the intellect is under the spell of the emotions. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. called, when the intellect under the spell of emotions, that's called intuitive or, or impulsive thinking. Impulsive thinking, yeah. And if the intellect is refined, then we have the spontaneous thinking. Well, if it's refined, if and it's directed. Re refined by the, the teaching here. By the teaching, yeah. yeah. The problem is that because you've been thinking the same thoughts <clears throat> the same way for such a long time, you think that the, your, your, those things are like, those thoughts are etched in stone. You think you can't change them. But repeating the same thought over and over and over again doesn't mean the thought's real. <laughs> the duration of an ignorant thought doesn't make the thought real. You think because it's been there all along, it must be real. No, not at all. Any thought that doesn't take Ishwara into account is going to produce suffering. Because your life, is, you're in Ishwara's world. Jiva's living in Ishwara's world. This isn't your world. You didn't create it. You, huh? You didn't bring yourself here. <coughs> You're in, you're in some, somebody else's world. That's God's world. <laughs> I know that may not have occurred to you. You may think it's all about me. But it's not. You're in somebody, you're in something else's world, and you better learn how that, that God thinks. God's a conscious being. We know God's conscious. You know why? What? Just think about it. Because the creation behaves predictably. It's intelligently designed, isn't it? If the creation is intelligently designed, that means the designer of the creation is intelligent, doesn't it? <laughs> huh? Yeah. 
and the designer of the creation is not different from the creation. Just look at the way things are set up. If this creation was not intelligently designed, would you get out of bed in the morning? No, why not? Because you couldn't uh, guarantee that an action you do would produce a particular result. If you understand God's law and you do a certain action, it will produce a certain result because it's designed that way. It's intelligently set up that way. But what, for example, what if just, just for instance, there, there's a lot of principles. These are all principles. These are God's thoughts on the chart. These are all God's thoughts. Let's take the fire element that's down here. Roger Guna. See this little red thing? That's called fire. <clears throat> and that's born out of Raja Guna. Now let's say for 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 instance that fire decided that it was is really tired of burning. It's really been burning forever. And it's bored. Burned out. It's burned out. Fire's burned out. burned out and it says, Today I'm gonna to be cold. Today I'll be cold. Just one day. I need a day off. I'll go back to work tomorrow, but today I want to be cold. Uh will you will you be able to function that day? In fact, you won't even be here. The whole creation will collapse in a fraction of a second. Everything will go south instantly. Because everything here depends upon everything else here. If you take one piece out of this puzzle, the whole puzzle collapses. You get up in the morning with an expectation that what? The water's going to be wet, fire's going to be hot, the wind's going to blow, huh? that whatever it is, that your mind's going to think, that you're going to, your desires are going to be... Okay, what if, what if you're like, you got all these problems, and then one day you wake up without any desires? And you have no desires, and then your wife and your kids come and say, well, come on, you got to take it to the kids, take me to school, Daddy. So I don't have any desire to take you to school. Fuck you. <laughs> and, you, and your wife says, go to work. He says, no, I don't have any desire to go to work. It's gone. I'd love to, but I have no desire. desire to, a desire deserted me today. I can't go to work. Huh? Huh? Yeah. No, you can count on it. If you're a needy, greedy person today, you'll be a needy, greedy person tomorrow. You can count on it. <laughs> Your life's built on need and greed. Huh? It, it'll be there tomorrow. Thank God. Thank <laughs> you. Understand? So I, huh? I, I want my thinking to be in, uh, you know, to take into account the field in which I'm thinking. Huh? You think you're special, is that it? You think you're absolutely unique and special and you have no connection to anything else except to go out and grab things and pull it into your life? You think that's, huh? 
when everything here is transacting with everything else and everything else depends upon everything else and you and you don't want to give anything you just want to take everything you think that how, do you, how long do you think you're going to survive here <laughs> no you better learn to think like god thinks that's the point that's the problem Huh? <laughs> Pardon? Yeah, we agree everything, and it's uh, really grateful and uh, intelligence uh, creation and so but, on. But, but the problem is to, to do it. No, so because we're talking about what's the topic, mastering the mind. Now the the, the problem the problem with this topic the problem with this, this mastering the mind is that because it's hard work and because you don't know how to think and, and, you, and you don't know what kind of thoughts to think, huh? you get a lot of suffering. That's where the suffering comes from. So then they got this notion in the spiritual world. And what is that notion? Stop thinking. Huh? Right? Huh? And they tell you. No, I, I had a friend that she was a, she'd been a Muji person, and then then Muji's teaching was well a little light, and so she and he was there teaching there and I in India and I was teaching at the same time, and and she she liked, loved Muji and 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 uh, she got a lot out of him but it wasn't satisfying after a while, so she she got tired of going to his satsang and she came to my satsang and. The lights went on because she was a thinking person, intelligent thinking person. She wasn't like just a feeling person. And uh, so she really got turned on to Vedanta and she got uh, into it. And one day after about, I don't know, six weeks or something like that, she was walking down the road and Muji was coming up the road. And she saw Muji. And she loved him. And so she ran up to him. And you know how it is when you meet somebody, you say, I was just thinking about you. You know how you say that? Yeah. Maybe you were and maybe you weren't. Won't, but yeah. uh, it doesn't matter. It, it means I love you, you know. So she puts her arms around me, hug him, and says, I was just thinking you. And he pushed her away and he says, that's your problem, you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I just got an email the other day about a guy who was with one of those Papaji people who was following Ganga Mira. That was the, the ex-wife of, of Papaji. And that's what she teaches them. Don't think. It's wrong to think. It's bad to think. Thinking's bad. Huh? You just got to be. I'm just going to stop thinking. Huh? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. There must be a reason why you're able to think. Yeah, God gave you the, the brain for a reason, and the reason is to discriminate <laughs> and to get your life in harmony with God so you can enjoy yourself here. Huh? And so you, the, the problem's not the mind. The problem is how the mind thinks and the kind of thoughts that the mind thinks. 
So what we're analyzing is the thoughts that are useful and helpful, and, and we're telling you why they're useful and helpful, and then we're analyzing those thoughts that are not useful and unhelpful, and we're telling you why they're not useful and not helpful. That's all. And then leave it up to you. If you want to think like that, well, it's up to you to think however you want. You want to think what you want, think what you want. I don't care. You know, I'm just telling you, if you want to be happy, you better think like God thinks, because God's the boss here. You're not the boss. I know it's bad news, isn't it? It's really bad news, huh? Because you want to be God, right? You want to be the God for your life. Huh? But you're not the God for your life until you what can control your mind. Once you can control your mind, then you start to get some, the, you get God-like powers. Mm -hmm. huh? But until you've got some kind of control over your mind, you're not going to grow at all spiritually. Yeah, Narayana. Some people, maybe strange, but some people don't think so much, but they channeling some answers of, how does it work? <laughs> how does it fit in? They're thinking, what's coming out? Thoughts. Thoughts? Who cares where they come from? They come from the ascended masters. They come from uh, who knows where they. Who cares? Huh? You don't know where the thoughts are coming from anyway, do you? Is it, is it impulsive? What, huh? <laughs> <laughs> is that impulsive? Yeah, that's impulsive. Uh, I guess. You, I, mean. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, you, have no doubt. you would not recommend <laughs> I, I, well, no, I, I wouldn't recommend to listen because every channeler huh, who's channeling the higher power, do they all say it's the same thing? No, they don't. They all have different ideas about what the higher power is saying, don't they? Now, are there two higher powers, three higher powers? Ten higher powers, or there's as many higher powers as there are channelers. That's how many higher powers there are, because all the channelers are doing is reading some thoughts in their unconscious mind, and they're uh, and they're claiming they belong to somebody else. <laughs> hmm, right. That's all. That's all they're doing. They're not taking responsibility for those thoughts. Hmm? Pardon? Vision. 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 <laughs> I had I had plenty I had plenty of visions, you know. Read my book, uh, uh, Mystic by Default. It's, it's got so many visions you wouldn't believe it. Uh, but what about it? Well, I mean, what's your question? Well, they have visions. <laughs> what's their value? What's their value in, in the picture? Well, I think that's the question. you know, yeah. You look at them in light of the teaching. That's what we're saying. Uh, I, I tell you a story. I, 
There was this woman in, in Tiruvannamalai years ago. She actually she's still there, and she she was a channeler. <coughs> she was I got quite famous in the 80s. She wrote a huge book. I've forgotten the name of it. I don't want to tell her name anyway. It doesn't matter. Just a principle. She's a good lady, but she's a channel. She wrote this book, big book, and she got quite rich and quite famous off it. Sold, I don't know, quite a lot of copies, 50,000 or 100,000 copies. She made a lot of money off it. And, uh, and then various things happened, and the people who were helping her, they stole her money and this and that and the other thing, but she still had royalties. And uh, it was a book on channeling, and she was channeling these her her masters. What's the name? Never mind. I don't want to <laughs> and and um, and uh, she came to Tiruvannamalai, and which is the wrong place to go for a channelers. I mean, she couldn't have chosen a worse place to go. She thought it was a very spiritual place, but everybody there is a cynical intellectual who thinks they know God, and nobody's interested in channeling. Huh? Right? They all think they're in little Brahmanas and all enlightened. That's what they think they're too, and I'm like. So she was, they wasn't going to make much business there, but she didn't want to. She 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 thought because she was, and she had a radiance because she actually kind of opened herself up to the, to the unconscious and she let, you know, she, she, she wasn't really egoic or, or she did have an ego, but it wasn't an obvious ego. Uh, and so she came there, got involved in this and that and the other thing. It's quite a character really. And I met her in a, in a cafe and I, I liked her. And she liked me. I, you know, I have a little gift to gab. I can talk a little. And I like to talk. And, and so we became friends. And uh, so one day I was sitting with her in this, this restaurant. And one of my friends, who was a serious Vedanta person, came in. And she saw us sitting there. And she came and she said, would you mind if I join you? And I, I looked at my friend and I said, no, it's fine with me. What do you think? And she said, no, it's fine. Sit down and join. So my friend assumed that I was talking to this war, this, this Chandler, because the Chandler was, she didn't know she was a Chandler, but she thought that what? That because I was talking to her, she was a Vedanta person. <clears throat> and, and, uh, and, but this woman, uh, so she asked, uh, she asked herself, uh, well, are you studying Vedanta with James? And she said, no. And my friend was surprised and she said, well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know what she said? Because they won't let me. <laughs> and my friend said, my friend said, who won't let you? She said, my masters. <laughs> huh? and, and, uh, uh, and my friend said, well, uh, who, who are your masters? 
And then we had to learn about these guys that were up there in the sky somewhere. I don't know what, where they were. Huh? So much for channeling, so much for intuition. It's all bullshit. It's romantic spiritual crap. Huh? It's all subjective. There's nothing objective about it. We're only interested in what's impersonal and rational and makes sense. We want our lives based upon reason, not on emotion. Vedanta is about establishing your life on the basis of knowledge, of reason, not on feelings. Feelings are like, huh? No good. <laughs> Seriously, if if you have if you love God, your feelings will be beautiful. They will be amazing feelings. They'll be true feelings. They'll be consistent feelings. They'll be uplifting feelings. If they're based upon purely on your own subjective uh, experience, they'll go all over the place. Sometimes they'll be amazingly beautiful and exciting. Sometimes they'll be nothing, just boring. And sometimes they'll be awful and ugly and deep. You don't know. Because huh? it's just your own experience pouring out. Understand? Yeah. But the love is still feeling. Pardon? But the love is feeling. Yeah. Well, no, love, love is not a feeling, but, but feelings are love. Excuse me, everybody, sh please shut up because I can't hear this woman. Okay. Uh, you told that the um, channeling is bullshit, and what is about the angels? The angels? Yeah, you did, but, but what well angels of God is a symbols for sattvic thoughts. Okay. The demons are symbols of what? Tamasic Rajasic thoughts. They're just personifications of impersonal forces. But people don't see the science of it, so huh? So when they feel a sattvic light, beautiful compassionate, loving feeling, huh? they visualize it as an angel with wings in the sky. Huh? When they feel a dark, evil, deep, ugly energy. <laughs> All they're feeling is a, is a dull, tomasic, ugly, rajasic thought, but what? Their mind twisted into a picture into a symbol. There's not a bunch of evil demons out there. <coughs> the evil demons are these two powers. <coughs> when they're not, but when they're unregulated and not controlled by sattva. That's all. The devil there's no devil. The devil is ignorance of God. And it's, why is it red and, tor and why does it torment you? Why do you burn? Why is it painful? <coughs> because being separate from God is what? Painful. Very painful. 
It said in the scripture here, as soon as you're away from God for a minute, if you're a devotee, you're like a fish out of water. You feel like you're going to die. When you're what? When your when your love of God gets broken for a minute, if you're a proper devotee, you feel awful. You gasp like, <gasps> and you get back into God right away. You get that love for God going right back. 